Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's so good to have all of you with us on every one of our campuses because they, today we're in our second week of our series entitled Brand New because there's a lot of brand new things that are happening in this season with our church. And uh, last week when we started the season, we, we said, and, and you know this if you've been around very long at RCC, that you know that we are committed to creating churches that church people love to attend, but also not just churches that church people love to attend, but also that people that are not in church to love to attend. And so much so that we have partnered with committed Christ followers in five different communities to do this and to live out this mission and this vision. And, and right now we have people meeting in Bluntstown. In fact, as I'm talking right now, I'm talking to people in Bluntstown, Chipley, Fairhope, Alabama, Mariana, and Wakulla. Can we just celebrate what God is doing in and all the churches, everyone? Yeah, can we do that? Yeah, it's just good. God's doing amazing things. I just want to thank you, every one of you at all of our campuses, for being so committed to creating churches that are safe, that are engaging, that are helpful for people, because regardless if a person considers himself as a church person or not a church person, that's what we're trying to do, create safe, engaging, helpful churches to impact our community with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this conversation, brand new, is so important for us during this season. The truth is, every one of us, we know we, got, we have family members, we have friends who find the idea of church, at least attending a church, not appealing at all. Think about that. I mean, we, we, we know so many people that we hang out with every week, that we interact with every week, and, and they don't find the idea of church appealing. And that's what makes our collection of churches so great because as I kind of told you last week, you know, once a week on every Tuesday, we kind of bring our staff together, whether it's through virtual or on location. And what happens is we come together and we think collectively and it just makes us better. We try to figure out ways how to make the church more engaging, how we can create a better experience for church people and unchurched people, how we can reach our communities for Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the things that we've been committed to since we launched our first multi-site campus is this statement here, and I gave it to you last week, but I want to remind some of you, and then some of you maybe weren't with us last week, but we think collectively and we act locally. And the reason this is just kind of our mindset is because our goal is to reach every community that we're in with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So what we do is we think collectively, which makes us so much stronger and so much better. In fact, yesterday afternoon, Gray and I, and he's, he's, our, he's our lead pastor for the Fairhope campus, we were having a conversation about Easter 2019. And, and we're already pumped about that. He had this idea, and I kind of like started playing off of it. It was just like crazy, incredible idea. See, it makes us so much better, and it makes us so much stronger. But then you know what we do with those ideas is we come back and we act locally, which keeps us, keeps us focused on our communities and, and, and helps us be a church that is all about creating great environments for people, whether they're church or unchurched in our community, so that we can make the impact for Jesus Christ. But here's what we've learned over this whole season. In every community, most people in our churches, if you really stop and think about and have a conversation with them, while they resist church, in most cases, as we said last week, they don't resist God. They, they don't resist Jesus. And because that's true, what we do is we spend a lot of time just thinking about, we've been asking and trying to better understand why people find the church so unappealing, why they find it very resistible. 
And we really think that the short answer boils down to this, and that is this. Churches hold on to things that hold us back. See, the truth is, if you really stop and think about it, churches do this. Churches hold on to things that hold us back from doing what God has called us to do. Churches hold on to things that hold us back from com communicating clearly and, and just concisely and helping people connect with who God is and, and who God has called us to reach. And so what we want to do today in the second part of our conversation, brand new, is we want to continue the conversation about what we as a church should resist. Because here's what we know from just studying the church and even looking at ourselves as a church. There are some behaviors, there are some beliefs that many of us has adopted, especially those of us who have called ourselves Christ followers, that we absolutely should resist. And here's why we should resist them. Because they're not central to who Jesus is, and they're not central to what the gospel is, and they make it difficult for people to turn to God. And so to do that today... What we're going to do is we're, we're going to start with a question, and I, and I really want you to kind of think about this question for just a moment as we begin our, begin our conversation today. So here, here's the question. Here it is. What is church? What is church? Now, now here's what I know. There, there are all kind of ideas and perspectives about what a church is. In fact, every week I'm in multiple conversations, sometimes on a daily basis, of, of hearing what people's ideas and perspectives are about the church and what the church is. But what I'd like kind of do today to get us started is kind of give us a basic definition that I, I think all of us on all of our campuses can probably agree on. I mean, there's a lot more we could say about the church, but let me just kind of give you a basic definition that we'll just kind of start as our foundation. Here it is. Here's our answer. The church is a community of people who follow the teachings of Jesus. We believe he was sent from God to explain God and help us through his death, burial, and resurrection connect with God. Let me give that to you one more time. The church is a community of people, notice it's a community of people, who follow the teachings of Jesus. He was sent from God to explain God and to help us connect with God through his death, burial, and his resurrection. Now, here's what's interesting when you look at this definition of the church. First of all, the church is not a building. The church isn't a place. In fact, by this definition... Rivertown Community Church, our church, is a collection of people who meet together to pursue following Jesus. I mean, it's not a weekly service. It's not our buildings. It's not our staff. It's not our structure. See, the church, it's a group. It's a, it's a movement of people who, here's the key, who follow the teachings of Jesus. And, and we believe that he came to communicate and help us understand and demonstrate what God is like. Now, when you start thinking about, okay, what are the teachings of Jesus? Well, if you really stop and think about it, the teachings of Jesus can be summarized basically in two statements. Here they are. Love God and love one another. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, that is the short version of everything that Jesus taught. Love God and love one another. Now, let me just ask you a question. If you are a person who has, or if you know a person who has, or maybe you resist church, what part of this statement about Jesus' teaching is worth resisting? Think about that. 
Well, what part of this statement about Jesus' teaching is worth resisting? Because think about it. You don't resist the love one another part, do you? you? You don't resist this part of love one another. In fact, many of you who left the church, you probably left the church to pursue a greater level or experience a greater level of love one another. I mean, don't we all, don't we all wish that we had more one, love one another in our world right now? I mean, every one of our campuses, I think we can all agree with that, right? We wish there was a lot more love one another in our world. Nobody thinks love is a dangerous teaching. In fact, when the very first followers of Jesus Christ began following these teachings, I mean, teachings of Jesus, no, nobody said to those people, you know, what, you know what's wrong with those Christians? They love each other too much. They, they never said that. I mean, early Christ followers weren't resisted because of their love for people. Think about it. Early Christ followers met resistance because of their devotion to Jesus. That, that's the love God part. Because see, early Christ followers, they insisted that Jesus was God. And they refused to look at Rome and, and declare Caesar as Lord. And as a result, early Christ followers, they suffered and in some cases were killed because of their love and their devotion to God or their love and devotion to Jesus. But nobody hated them because of how much they loved one another. They resisted them because of how devoted they were to Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. Imagine if the only negative thing that people had to say about the church in 21st century America. Think about this. What, what if the only negative thing that church people and unchurched people had to possibly say about or could possibly say about the church in America is this. That Christ followers today, the only negative thing they could say is that we believe Jesus is God and we love him. That they're just like... They're, they're just way overcommitted to this whole God thing. In other words, imagine if people in our culture, when they thought of the church, what if they said, I can't really believe what they believe. I mean, that, that whole thinking that Jesus is God, that's just kind of like crazy to me. I just, I don't know if I could buy into that whole Jesus is God kind of thing. But you know what? I love having them as our neighbor. Oh, they are absolutely amazing neighbors. I just love how they treat everybody. I love working with them. They're, they're the best co-workers that I have. In fact, you know, I hope somewhat, I hope one day, maybe my son or my daughter, well, I don't believe anything they believe, I hope maybe my son or daughter would marry one of them. Maybe they'll want to work for me. Or, or maybe, maybe one of them will be a roommate for my child in college. Imagine if that was the conversation. The only negative thing that the cultures could say in 21st century America is this. Man, I just don't know if I can believe that Jesus is God thing, but I love how they love people. And you know what? That's how it was kind of in the first century of the Christian faith. And it's how it's supposed to be today. If, if our love for Jesus and our insistence that he died and that he rose again to pay for our sin, if that causes people to resist us, that, that's okay. That's, that's okay because not everybody is bought into that yet. But whenever people resist the church for any other reason, 
especially if they resist the church because they don't feel loved or cared for, that's a serious issue. That's something that the church should be quick to resist. That's something that the church should be quick to change. And the question becomes, so what made the church move from where people were going, well, really the only negative thing I've got to say is I just don't understand that Jesus God kind of thing. I don't know if I can believe that, but I love how they love. How did the church become so resistible over time? Now, we're not going to give you a lot of church history this morning, but let me just kind of summarize it for you. See, the church didn't become resistible because they started doing anything new. No, the church became resistible because the exact opposite had happened. The church became resistible because we kept drifting towards something old, something that Andy Stanley has coined the temple model. The temple model. See, when you study pretty much any religion throughout history, you will find that pretty much any religion out there is built on four components of this thing called the temple model. Let let me give them to you. Here they are. They are sacred places. If you think about it, sacred places are pretty much something every religion has. Every religion has a place or a handful of places that they consider sacred. And if you really, in their mind, if you really want to connect with God, you know, if you really want your marriage to be sealed in heaven or some kind of thing like that, then you go to this sacred place or you go there and have your babies baptized, those kind of things. And here's what happens when you end up at that sacred place. You find out that that sacred place holds sacred text. And those sacred texts, they control everything you do and whether you have access to God. And those sacred texts are also controlled by sacred men. And these men, they have like this extraordinary power because they have the power in some cases to give you access to the sacred place. And and they always have the power to interpret the text for you and tell you how you should live by that text. Because... They have that power. They get to tell their sincere followers, or maybe their scared followers, or maybe even more than that, their superstitious followers, what they must do to gain access to God. If they want to gain access to God because you got to do this, if you want to go to their version of heaven or avoid their version of hell or maybe be reincarnated reincarnated to a better life, and, and none of them ever say anything about being reincarnated as a cat. I wonder why that is. But anyhow, just a thought. So here's the deal. You can study pretty much any religion, and this is how it works. There's a sacred place that holds sacred texts, and there are sacred men who interpret those texts and tell their sincere followers how they should live. And if you really stop and think about it, it's why some of you resist church, isn't it? It's why many people in our communities believe religion is just a way to manipulate people. And then there are some of you that have kind of resisted church, and maybe you're just coming back to try to check this thing out, and you're going, well, I think you just indicted yourself as a church then, Paul. Because that's pretty much what you guys are doing here. I mean, you're like sitting there saying to yourself, what you just described sounds a lot like the church to me. And you know what? The truth is, it is a lot how a lot of Christian churches function. But it's not supposed to be. See, if you've ever been to a church and, and this is what they look like, that they, they believe like there's a sacred place and, and there's these sacred men that control these sacred texts and they tell their sin followers exactly all the rules they got to live by, then they got it wrong and they are operating out of the temple model. And if you're a Christ follower, 
and you think this is how it's supposed to work, you miss completely how Jesus set up the church. In fact, don't miss this. You may want to write it down. The arrival of Jesus marked the end of the temple model and the beginning of something brand new. See, when Jesus showed up, he taught that there were no more sacred places, that there were only sacred people. In fact, he said, you know, when you show up at one of your sacred places, what you call your sacred place, and you realize that there's a problem between you and another person, you leave that place and you go get right with that person before you ever leave your gift at the altar. Because Jesus said, listen, the person that's on your right and the person that's on your left, the person that's in front of you, behind you, anywhere in your community, they are far more sacred than the ground that you are standing on. And then he taught that there were no more sacred men who controlled access to God. He came along and said, no, 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 here's the good news of the gospel. Everybody has equal access to God. And some of you, you you don't get that. That's why whenever there's a preacher around, you ask them to pray. Because you think he's got more access to God than you do. And Jesus said, no. And then Jesus said, oh, and by the way, that sacred text of scripture, that's for you. Not not just for a few sacred men to interpret for you. Because he said this, he said, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and help you understand the truth of Scripture and how to apply it to your life. So here's the thing. Jesus, when he showed up, he didn't show up to add more to the temple model. He he didn't show up to do temple model 2.0. He showed up to introduce something brand new. And that brand new thing is called the Jesus model. And with the Jesus model, he also introduced four new things that replaced the four things of the temple model. The first thing he introduced was this, a new covenant. Now, when we talk about this new covenant, you need to understand what we mean is Jesus introduced a brand new way for us to relate to and to be in a relationship with God. See, for example, you got to think about it this way. When Jesus was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper and he's celebrating the Passover before his death and his, or his, his arrest and his death on the cross, he says something to these Jewish disciples that was absolutely shocking to them. See, they believed up until this point in time when they were sitting with Jesus that for their sins to be covered or atoned for with God, they needed to go to the temple and offer an animal sacrifice. So in their minds, they had to go to a sacred place and give this offering to a sacred man so he could offer up this sacrifice in order to keep things right between them and God. But then Jesus, at this Passover meal, he holds the Passover cup in front of them. And here's what he says. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. This cup represents the new arrangement between God and man. He says, so this is the new covenant in my blood. This new arrangement now happens because of what Jesus was going to do on the cross and and his resurrection. He says, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm about to die and rise again to pay the penalty for all of your sin. And with my death and resurrection, I'm ushering in an entire new arrangement for people to be right with God. 
Basically, in this statement, he's saying, listen, no longer are sacrifices needed or even desired. No longer are temple visits and priests necessary or even suggested. He's saying, listen, your access to God is direct and it's available for everyone. In fact, it's amazing how many church people think think of communion as a sacred tradition rather than a picture of this new covenant, a celebration of a new covenant. So every time Jesus is saying, every time you drink from that cup, let it be a reminder that there is a new covenant or a new arrangement for how man is made right with God. And it's not through a sacred place and it's not through a sacred man, but it's personal between you and God. And not only did Jesus introduce a new covenant, but Jesus also introduced something else, a new commandment which led to a new behavioral ethic. See, the command said there's a new behavior that is needed. In fact, again, just after celebrating the Passover meal, Jesus looks at these young Jewish disciples and he says this to them. Here's what he said. A new command I give you. And his disciples, I'm sure, are sitting there when they heard this word, a new command. They're sitting there. Only God gives commands. And Jesus is going, that's exactly right. As God, I'm giving you a new command. This command is greater than any other command. In fact, it replaces all the other commands. We're going to talk about that more next week. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. Love one another. By this, by living out this new command, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here's what Jesus was telling his disciples that night. He's saying, listen, if you don't live out this new command to love one another, and then he goes on, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, if you don't get this right, you're going to become very resistible. Very resistible. And we're going to talk about the implications of this new command to love one another over the next few weeks. But what Jesus did in this statement with this new command is he completely, don't miss this if you're a Christ follower, he completely redefined what it means to follow God. In fact, what he's saying in this statement right here is that the distinguishing mark of every follower is not how much of the sacred text that we know or how much of the old sacred laws that we keep. And it's not even how often we show up at a sacred place to attend a service. He's saying, listen, the distinguishing mark of a disciple, a follower of God, a follower of Jesus Christ is when we love others with this sacrificial, supernatural, forgiving kind of love that Jesus had for us. He says, a new command I'm giving you. But you know what's really amazing when you look at this statement? It's how many Christ followers see it read more like this. Jesus saying, a new optional idea I give you. And that's not what he said. He said, a new command. And what's even more amazing is how many Christ followers, and and I'm going to tell you, this was so much part of my life in the earlier years of following Christ is that we don't even consider it a sin to break this command. See, see, it's absolutely a sin to break this command. In fact, Jesus is saying, here is the new definition of sin. And, and when you think about it that way, it completely changes how we relate to God. 
Because here's what you understand, because based on the new covenant, once you trust in Jesus as your savior, your sin forgiver, your life leader, then you don't have to worry about whether things are good between you and God anymore. They're good. And they're good not because of what you've done. They're good because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection for you. You are made right with God not because of what you do. See, that's old temple thinking model. Jesus says, no, there's a new covenant. So you don't need to worry about where you stand with God. But he goes on and says this new command, this new ethic for behavior, it's all about this. He's saying, now that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you focus on loving people like Jesus does. So, so there was a new covenant, a new way to relate to God that opened the door for every person to be able to relate to God personally. And then there is this new command which introduced a new ethic for our behavior toward others. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. That's the new ethic for our behavior. And then finally, Jesus introduced something else. He introduced this thing called a new movement. We call it the church. And when he introduced this thing called this new movement of the church, he obliterated the idea of a sacred place. He obliterated the idea of the temple model. In fact, don't miss this. In Matthew chapter 16... Jesus is standing in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was known for about three things, real, real important things that you understand. First of all, for being like Las Vegas on steroids. I mean, they were just like completely degenerate. So picture this. Jesus is standing in the middle of Las Vegas on steroids. This place is also known for having a large rock temple where people went to worship a fertility god named Pan. So you know there was a lot of immorality that took place in this temple. And thirdly, it was also known for having this stream that ran under this temple that pagans believe was the gate to the underworld. So in this city, Jesus is standing there with his disciples. And he says, who do you think I am? And here is the conversation that followed. Notice this. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus makes just this amazing, amazing statement. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Just saying, and just like your name is Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, the word church got translated into our English Bible. But make sure you understand this. This word church in no way means a sacred space or a sacred place. It doesn't mean a building or a location. The, the word church here, it means a gathering or a following of people. In fact, in the country where they were, in that context of where they were, in that city, what, what Jesus was saying, he's like looking at this place and everything that's going on around. He's like saying, in the middle of this most unsacred place, this most unsacred space, he's saying to his disciples, I want you to imagine, I am going to build my movement and nothing is going to be more powerful to stop it. Not even the unsacredness of this city. And Jesus was predicting a brand new movement. He's saying, there's going to be a new movement of people 
whose lives and their beliefs would be centered on the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world, that he was God in human flesh, and even more than that, that they would love others as he loved us. And sure enough, you know what happened? That movement, it began to spread quickly. In fact, in the first 300 years, it was so irresistible that the Roman emperor, Constantine, he decided that it was best for him politically to become a Christian because there were so many Christians at that time. But you know what happened as the church kept moving forward? The old temple model kept creeping back in. The old, what was under the old covenant. It started getting mixed back in with the new And people started focusing again on sacred places with sacred men who controlled sacred texts again. And when that happened, guess what? The church became resistible and it became more and more resistible because people who called themselves followers of Jesus, they decided people who didn't follow Jesus, well, you're just not part of our club. You're not good enough for our club. And the church became a place for church people and, and all about church people and what church people liked. And, and they kept making it harder and harder for people who didn't follow Jesus to start following Jesus. Here's why. Because they started adding all these requirements that Jesus never added. In fact, that's what happened to exactly some of you who are on some of our campuses today. It's why you quit going to church for a while. It's why, what you experienced. It's why Christians oftentimes justified mistreating you or being condescending toward you because you believed or behaved differently than they did. It's why when you tried church and you went to church, you, you left feeling judged and not loved. It's, it's why when you started asking genuine questions, looking for some facts and answers, you got shot down and just said, you need to have more faith. It's why some people told you or maybe told somebody that you loved you know, if you want to be involved in our church, you got to clean up your act. you got to clean up some stuff in your life before you can be involved. See, it's just that mindset of, of bringing the old temple model into what Jesus, cried, Jesus tried to create brand new that has made the church so resistible to so many people in our communities, in our cities, in our towns, and even in our country. And here's the thing. It is so easy for us to point our finger at people that do that. Don't miss what I'm saying here. It is so easy for us to say, the church is this, and the church is that, and the church is this, and the church is that. In fact, every day of every week, I am probably in one of those conversations where somebody is making a statement that's saying the church isn't getting it right, and the church doesn't ever get it right, and if people in the church would, or they'll say, if the church would get it right. But have you ever thought about the fact that every time you look in the mirror, you're looking at the church? See, the church is not a place. Church is not a staff. Church is not a structure. Church is not a location. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are the church. So maybe instead of pointing our finger and saying how the church isn't getting it right, maybe we need to look in the mirror at the church. Maybe before we get all critical and say, it's not happening, it's not right, those kind of things. Maybe we just hit the pause button. 
Because here's the big idea we want you to think about today and this week, and that is this. Maybe the reason the church is resistible to so many people in our community is because maybe there's a little temple model in all of us that we're not seeing ourselves. Because see, together, we as individual Christ followers make up this thing called the church. See, what I am, the church is. What I do, the church does. How I think, the church thinks. How I behave, my attitudes, that's the church. And maybe together we don't realize it because we keep thinking the church is some entity, some group of people, and I'm not the church, but I am the church, and you are all individuals. We are the church. Together we make up the church. So maybe together we're making the church very resistible. So this week what we want to do is we just want to give you a few statements that maybe will help you find the temple model in you. And and I hope it raises a lot of questions. And and we're going to start answering some of these questions over the next few weeks as we're going to talk about this more. But right now today, we think we just need to pause and ask ourselves. We think we owe it to the communities that we're in and the people who find the church resistible to ask ourselves, is it possible that I'm making Jesus seem resistible when he is truly irresistible? Let me just give you a a couple examples of what we call temple model examples, some statements that I think all of us really need to be honest about. And, and, you know, I I think when when we started writing, I just kept writing more and more of these, and finally we just started taking them back out and saying, no, 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 no. There are so many. But let's just give you some here to get you thinking. If you've ever wondered how close to sin you can get without sinning, that's temple model thinking. See, See, that kind of thinking is not about how loving you can be toward God and other people, is it? This is about how much you can get away with and still be good with God. And see, that's the temple model of thinking. Or here's another one. Feeling guilty about missing church, but not feeling guilty about how you mistreated someone. That, that again is temple model thinking. It is driven by your belief that a place is more sacred than people. And that God cares more about whether you show up at a sacred place than how you treat the sacred people that he died for. Or how about this one, if you're a parent? Fearing for the eternal destiny of a child based on whether they've been baptized. See, see, once again, that's like temple model thinking. I mean, I mean you're, you're thinking that showing up at this sacred place and having some sacred man sprinkle some holy water or immerse your child into water will be the hoop that they need to jump through to be good with God. And obviously, as parents, we all want our children to have a relationship with God, but Jesus never taught that baptism was how that happened. Their decision to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior is how a relationship with God happens. See, baptism is just how we go Facebook official that we're followers of Jesus Christ. Now, how about this one? Failing morally with someone and and you're more concerned about what God might do to you rather than what you did to the other person you sinned with. See, see, thinking this way, it misses the point entirely of loving one another as Christ loved you. I mean, this completely ignores what Jesus said about loving one another as Jesus has loved us. It assumes that God cares more about your behavior toward him than what your behavior did toward someone else. It's temple model thinking. Or how about this one here? 
believing there's some sort of ritual that makes you right with God and releases you from making things right with a person that you sinned against. See, see, if you start thinking that showing up at church or confessing to a priest or giving some money or saying some kind of special prayer or reading your Bible daily, that kind of thing, clears you from having to go apologize and make amends or make things right, you've missed what Jesus said in the new command. That, that, that in no way reflects the new command and the new ethic that Jesus introduced. This is temple model thinking. And you know, we could stop right there. And if we're all honest, we'd have to admit, man, there's, there's a lot of that thinking in us. Every one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, or let me give you a few more just so we can bring the conviction at a whole new level while we're doing it, right? How about this one? Leaving a church because it was not doing enough for you instead of you not doing enough for it. Let me just say something about this one. This behavior is what I believe and we believe is one of the primary reasons why this whole think the temple model makes the church so resistible to people in our communities. And, and I've had so many conversations with people in our different communities as we talk about church and and they can't understand how a self-centered, it's all about me attitude is a sign of Christian community. See, there's something that we miss because we're so, if you're a church person, because you're so saturated in the church, and that is this. Temple model thinking Christians are always consumers. It's always what's in it for me. How can you do for me? It's why the church in 21st century America is so full of church hoppers and church shoppers. And, and here's, the, here's the excuses we make. We, we sit there so piously and we look at somebody else and we tell them something like this. We go, well, the reason I'm a church hopper and shopper is because we just want to go deeper in the word. Or, or we just want to have more opportunities for our families. But we miss the point. What, what about loving others enough to lead a small group to take people deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Because one of the best ways you can go deeper in a relationship with Jesus Christ is to take other people on a deeper journey. Or here's one. What about serving in our family ministry areas with our children or with our students so that there's more opportunity for other families as well as your family? See, for too many of us who call ourselves Christ followers, and we've really not been following Christ because we've been following the old temple model. For too many of us who call ourselves Christ followers, it has become about the sacred place and those sacred hired holy people that are supposed to serve us well. And if they don't serve us well, then we're just going to go find another church. Listen. Temple model Christians are always consumers. What's in it for me? It's why there are so many Christians in America who are willing to sit in services every week but never serve. And then complain about the services if it doesn't do enough for them. Next one. Never confessing breaking the new command as a sin or never seeing it as replacing 
the top 10. If you have never confessed breaking the new command as a sin, or if you've never seen it as replacing the top 10, that's temple model thinking. And please hear my heart on this as one of your pastors. Here's what I've come to realize in the past few years. If your definition of sin is more complicated than Jesus, you're living in the temple model. What was Jesus' definition of sin? Jesus' definition of sin when he's talking to his disciples that evening with this new command, he says anything that falls short of loving people the way that Jesus loved people. That's the new definition of sin. In fact, what I've come to realize in my own life over the last five or ten years is this, is that my most common sin against God is not a sin I sin against God, but my most common sin against God is my failure to keep the new command. And even at times, it's my blatant decision not to live out the new command to love as Jesus loved. It's why some of us as Christ followers, we're willing to go for years carrying a grudge and go for years with unforgiveness in our spirit and go for years without reconciling a relationship with someone because we don't see breaking the new command as a sin. See, it's why the church in America has wanted to post the Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn so we could judge our communities by how they weren't keeping the Ten Commands instead of standing up and say, hey, communities, how about if we put the new command on the courthouse lawn and then you judge us and let us know how well we're doing that? See, that's why the church is so resistible to people in our communities because we want to plant the Ten Commands, which Jesus replaced with a new command, love God and love people on the courthouse lawn so we can judge them and tell them, here's how you're not getting it right, instead of saying, hey, there was a new command that Jesus gave us. Can we place that somewhere so you can be reminded and then judge us as Christ followers to see how good we're doing? And let us know if we're getting it right. See, if we could understand, if we could fully understand that breaking the new command is is just as much a sin as breaking one of the Ten Commands, it would absolutely change us. Don't miss this. We really believe as a church that not loving others as Christ loved us, it's the number one reason that churches, and sometimes even our churches, are seen as resistible. See, see, we judge everyone else for their sins against the Ten Commandments. But we don't even recognize our sin against Jesus' new command. Or even our lack of desire to live out that command. Or, or lack of heart to love others as Jesus loved us. In fact, a guy by the name of Greg Boyd said it this way. To fail to love like Jesus is the worst form of heresy regardless of how true one's beliefs are. Don't don't miss that. And I think he's so right. That's what Jesus was saying. To fail to love like Jesus is the worst form of heresy, regardless of how true one's beliefs are. It's the kind of stuff that creates unnecessary barriers, and it makes people, it makes it difficult for people to connect with God. I mean, this stuff, I'm telling you, is what creates bad church experiences for people in our churches. So if you're here on any of our campuses today and and this kind of stuff has caused you to resist church, 
And just hang on and stay engaged for the next few weeks in this conversation because we think it's going to clear up some issues for you and maybe free you up to begin pursuing a relationship with God again. And for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, here's our question for you. Will you commit for the, the next few weeks to deal with the temple model that has caused many of us to live out heresy? Can we just make like a commitment together because I think we're that kind of church that wants to get this right. So, so can we make the commitment and can, can we embrace and completely be honest that, that we hadn't got this loving Jesus or loving people the way Jesus loved us? Can we get that out and just say, yeah, we, we've got it so wrong so many times? Because it's only then that we can start fixing what's wrong with the church. And what's wrong with the church is not all those other people that aren't getting it right. What's wrong with the church is I'm not looking in the mirror enough to get it right in my life. So can we agree on this this morning that we'll let go of anything that makes church and Christians unnecessarily irresistible? Because see, if people resist us, let's make sure it's because we love Jesus so much and believe that he died and he rose again and not because we hold on to things that we should resist. Things like self-righteousness and selfishness and self-serving Christianity. That, that just causes the church to be so resistible. And you've got to understand this. When Jesus came, Jesus came to mark the end of God's participation in the temple model. And the beginning of something brand new, the Jesus model, which is a new command, which creates a brand new ethic for our behavior. And our prayer is that throughout the rest of this week, that these thoughts here today will absolutely be unsettling. But we want you to just come back next week, because next week we're looking at something the Apostle Paul says. He says, this is the only thing that matters when it comes to your faith and your relationship with God. And we're going to talk about some other things that don't even matter, that we think matter so much, that make us resistible. Because here's what we believe. When we get this right, living out this new command, loving others as Christ loved us, our communities and the people in our churches they will begin to understand that we are absolutely for them. And more importantly, we, we believe it, it can lead them to believing that God is for them. And when they start believing that, I mean, the whole church brand becomes new in our community. It's why during this series, every week you're coming in, you're going to get a four card. And, and also we're going to have the four stickers available. We're going to have the four stickers available for you as you leave. If you don't have one of those to put on your card, just to remind you, these cards are to remind you to live out this new command, to begin to see this is the new standard, this, this is the new ethic for my behavior. Because here's what we understand. Until people understand that we are for them as followers of Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard for them to believe that God is for them. And once they believe God is for them, it changes everything for them. When they understand that God is for them, all of a sudden the church brand, it becomes new. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity for us just to pause this week and quit pointing our fingers at everything and everybody else that we've called the church and to look in the mirror and figure out how the temple model has slipped into our hearts our beliefs and our behaviors and how we as individuals are keeping the church from being irresistible to people.
God, help us to begin here. I know all of us on all of our campuses, this is, this is what we're about. It's, it's why we show up. It's, it's why we give and it's why we serve. It's about reaching our communities with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so I pray this week you help us, God. Help us to begin to live this new command with a new level of behavior toward everybody that we interact with. And may we understand that our relationship with you is tied to how we treat the people that you call your children and that you died for because you love them so much. God, give us a completely different paradigm through which we see our relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.